0: This is WTMJ Nights, and now here's your host, Dan Schaefer.
1: Good evening, and welcome to WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I am the founder of the Recombobulation Area, a weekly opinion column an online publication covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And I am your guest host this evening. I'm very excited to be joining you on this beautiful day in Milwaukee. We get a Brewers win. We get the sun shining. Not too bad. Not too bad. So we're going to be taking your calls and texts and having a conversation uh, today during WTMJ nights. Uh, you can call and text the show at the Old National Bank. Talk and text line 855-616-1620. Again, that's 855-616-1620. And as I mentioned, my name is Dan Schaefer. I am the founder of an online publication and weekly opinion column called the Recombobulation Area. Yes, that is named after the famous post-security uh, location in the Milwaukee airport uh, where, you know, you collect your things and put on your shoes and all of that. Uh, I thought it would be a good name for a political opinion column since we have a very discombobulating news cycle and oftentimes in the state of Wisconsin and the city of Milwaukee. Uh, and what I like to do at the Recombobulation Era is just as you do at the airport. You put your things back together and figure out where you're headed next. So if you want to learn more about me and my publication, uh, head over to the area dot uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. Uh, that's where many readers have found me. Uh, and you might be familiar uh, with my Twitter presence there. Uh, and sometimes I have people come up to me and and say that they know me from Twitter. Uh, and I never know where to, whether to thank them for following my work or to apologize because they have had to uh, endure my Twitter feed. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. But um, but yes, I cover news and politics uh, and for the past uh, few years, I've been doing this this project called the Recombobulation Area. Uh, it has grown significantly over the past uh, past year, and now I'm doing this uh, as a full time job. And you know, we'll occasionally stop in here at 620 WTMJ. Uh, so, you know, if you have a topic you'd like to talk about. There's some of my work you might be familiar with, might have a question about. Uh, feel free to text the show, call the show. Again, the number is 855-616-1620. My name is Dan Schaefer. Again, I am the founder of the Recombobulation Area. Uh, we have a great show planned for you today. Uh, coming up later during the 6 o'clock hour, I will be joined by Jeff Mandel, who is the co-founder and board president of... Of law forward. They are a progressive law firm. Uh, and I'm going to be talking to him a little bit about what might happen, uh, when the Wisconsin Supreme Court, uh, shifts its balance of power. That, you know, we, 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 we talked a lot about that election earlier this year, the spring election where Janet Protasewicz defeated Dan Kelly, uh, by, you know, in Wisconsin, what we might consider a landslide victory, uh, and that is going to change the balance of the court, change the composition of the court, uh, and she will be sworn in in less than two weeks now uh, on Tuesday, August first. So we'll be talking to uh, Jeff Mandel a little bit about uh, about what's going on there, uh, and then during the seven o'clock hour, if, if anyone who knows me is well aware, uh, I am a huge fan of the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, of course, this is summer. We're in Brewer season. You got to listen to the Brewers this afternoon on like 620 WTMJ. Uh, and, and, you know, the Packers are coming up. Always a lot of talk about the Packers. I always love talking about the Bucks, even when it's the offseason. Uh, and so we're going to have J.R. Radcliffe uh, from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The tra- he's the trending sports reporter there. He's going to be joining us during the 7 o'clock hour. And, and part of the reason he's joining us today is because today is – Anniversary of sorts uh, for Bucks fans. Uh, it is two years to the day since the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA Finals after Giannis Adedikumbo scored fifty points in Game Six to lead the team to victory. Uh, I would I would say the most remarkable moment in Milwaukee sports history, certainly in my lifetime. Uh, and just so happens uh, that there is an opportunity to celebrate that anniversary coming up tomorrow night. Uh, Myself with the Recombobulation Area and my friends over at Milwaukee Record, we are going to be presenting a rewatch party for Game 6. Of the 2021 NBA Finals, we're going to be doing that at the Cooperage. Uh, things will get started at 6:30 tomorrow night. We'll start watching the game at about 7:30, uh, and uh, you know it's a free event, so come come down, check it out, relive one of the most uh, remarkable moments in Milwaukee sports history. We'll we'll watch Giannis make all those free throws again as he leads us uh, leads the Bucks to victory as well. Uh, but like I said, for much of the first hour of the show, we're going to be talking politics. We're going to be talking news. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the news of the day. Like I mentioned, we'll be talking to Jeff Mandel about the changes in the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, later in the hour. We're also at a point now where, you know, we're, we're getting close to uh, the 2024 election cycle. Uh, and with the RNC in Milwaukee next year, we're going to be talking a little bit about that later this hour uh and again at any time feel free to call the show text the show if you have questions comments on any of the news of the day uh the big topics uh of the week here uh as we uh, as we settle in for a good conversation tonight so uh we're going to be headed to break here in just a minute and, uh, again, my name is Dan Schaefer. I am your guest host for this evening. We're going to be talking politics for much of the first half of the show. We're going to be talking sports for much of the second half of the show. Uh, so join us. Uh, looking forward to having a great conversation. And we will be right back. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. Welcome back. Welcome back. To WTMJ Nights, my name is Dan Schaefer. I am your guest host for this evening, and I am—if you—if you're not familiar with my work—I'm the founder of the Recombobulation Area, a weekly opinion column and online publication uh, covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And we're going to talk a little politics. Uh, the first half. Of the show here for WTMJ Nights. Uh, You know, I write a lot about election politics, so it was a very busy year last year with the midterms, uh, writing about the gubernatorial race, writing about the Senate race. One of the other things that I do is I write about all 116. Races on the ballot in the Wisconsin State Legislature. Yes, I am the only guy crazy enough to write about all 116 races uh, in the Wisconsin State Legislature, and I also wrote quite a bit about the spring election this year. Uh, and so we are a kind of at a rare moment now where we have a little bit of an election down period, uh, which I think for a lot of people who do have voter fatigue uh, after the midterms, after the spring election. Uh, You know, that spring election was such a big deal with politics had a story this week that, you know, nearly 60 million dollars were spent between the two campaigns uh, on that. And we're going to be talking about that race a little bit later in this in this first hour with Jeff Mandel of Law Forward. Uh, But we're kind of in this interesting moment now where, you know, okay, the the midterms are out of the way. Uh, We're finished with the state budget, finished with the shared revenue debate. And now I think the attention is going to start to turn towards 2024 about start to turn to those races that will be, you know, on the ballot, be at the primary. Obviously we, with the RNC here in Milwaukee, we're going to be paying a lot of very close attention to the Republican presidential primary, but you also have the, the race for us Senate. And, and we know Tammy Baldwin uh, is running for re-election. You know, she won re-election by a really large margin in 2018. Uh, and, and right now, she doesn't have an opponent. She doesn't, there has not yet been a Republican join the race. You know, I think it, for those of us who are, who follow a lot of political news across the country, you'll see, uh, Senate races across the country that are, you know, different states where you have candidates announcing whether they're going to retire, run for another term, who's going to jump into the race, what kind of primary are we looking at. We haven't really had that news cycle here yet in Wisconsin because nobody's run. Uh, nobody's announced that they're running. So we had, you know, Congressman Mike Gallagher, who I think was uh, a number of Republicans top choice to be running against Tammy Baldwin. He He's announced not too long ago that he's choosing not to run. OK, so who's next? Well, the Marquette poll took a look at uh, a number of those candidates. One of the one of the candidates was Gallagher. Uh, he didn't actually poll tremendously well uh, in that Marquette poll. Uh, but some of the other ones, uh, some of the other names that have been floated around, uh, name we're familiar with here in the Milwaukee area, former sheriff David Clark, very controversial guy, left in disgrace in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, he he of the candidates pulled in that poll. He had the strongest name recognition by by a pretty significant margin. Uh, so if he does choose to enter the race, uh, he's gonna be a formidable candidate in that primary don't think he would have a great chance of beating Tammy Baldwin in a general. But in a primary, I think he, he would have a pretty good chance of winning. Uh, you also have people like Congressman Tom Tiffany. He, he's somebody I've been whose name I've been hearing about for a while uh, as somebody who's going to jump into the race. I think it's very likely that he will uh, end up running. He's the congressman from the 7th District. Uh, he, he's in his second full term. Uh, is serving in Congress, you know, a pretty far right conservative, uh, you know, the, again, the type of candidate maybe he would do better in a primary necessarily versus a general election. And then we have some other candidates, some, some folks from the business community. Uh, Eric Hovde has been a name uh, that's been that's been in the mix. And then there was a story in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel today about a potential candidate, uh, Scott Meyer, a businessman from Franklin He's the chairman of QPS Employment Group. I I don't exactly see his candidacy inspiring a whole lot of confidence based on some of the comments in that story today. Uh, Dan Bice of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did this story, uh, interviewed Scott Meyer, who said he did not vote in 2018 and he did not vote in 2020. And he did not have a whole lot of recollection of signing checks for thousands of dollars to support certain Republican candidates and he, and he uh, you know almost went as far to say as like well if no one else is going to do it I'll step up. not exactly an inspiring message uh, to beginning a beginning a primary campaign with so I, I'm not exactly buying a whole lot of Scott Meyer stock so maybe this is maybe this is going to be a primary where you have David Clark and Tom Tiffany are one of those candidates going to push Tammy Baldwin? Not so sure about that. If you if you have thoughts on any of those candidates or any other potential candidates uh, who could be joining the field, hit us up on the Old National Bank talk and text line 855-616-1620. Who do you think is going to run against Tammy Baldwin? Who do you think would have the best chance? With Mike Gallagher out of the mix, is it going to be David Clark and Tom Tiffany? Is somebody like Scott Meyer going to, hey, maybe he'll surprise us. Who knows? Hard to say. Hard to say right now. But uh, all over the country, you're seeing can- candidates announce uh, that they're going to be running in their respective states have not had that here in Wisconsin. So that's going to be something to look for. Um, another thing I think that has you know been in the news this week uh, and as of late is, is the Republican presidential primary and the candidacy of Ron DeSantis and whether there are any of the other candidates that are going to really get into the mix and challenge Donald Trump, who, who again appears to be the front runner uh, for the nomination and I think it is still the most likely outcome that he will be the one delivering the convention speech in Milwaukee a year from now. But we've, there's a lot of ball game left, and we have to wait and see who's gonna who's gonna really emerge from these primaries. The first debate uh, will be here in Milwaukee just over a month from now on August 23rd. So who's it gonna be? Is Ron DeSantis gonna kind of turn his campaign around? Because right now there's not a lot of uh, positive signs coming out of it. I saw a headline today that. You know, his campaign was looking for a reset. And I think there were some interesting results in the Marquette University law poll. Uh, it was the first poll that, that they had a couple of weeks ago. You know, that we, we heard all the headlines from that poll. Tony Evers has a strong approval rating. People feel this about shared revenue, this about voucher schools, all these different types of things. Uh, and one of the things that was, of course, pulled was the Republican presidential primary. And DeSantis had a pretty good poll there. He, he pulled pretty even with Trump. Uh, but. One of the things that I always do at the Recombobulation Area with every New Marquette University Law School poll is I'll dig into the crosstabs and write a breakdown and analysis of what's going on. So after the break here, we're going to be talking a little bit about what I found in those cross tabs, particularly in the DeSantis versus Trump kind of binary that could be emerging in the Republican presidential primary. So if you have any thoughts on that, send us a text, shoot me a tweet give us a call 855-616-1620. And so we're going to be talking about after that, after the break, and we are going to be going to commercial right now. Stick with us. Back to WTMJ nights. Welcome back to WTMJ nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm your guest host this evening, and we've been talking a little bit of politics in the first half of this show. Uh, My newsletter and Column, the Recombobulation Area, I write about news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, I was talking about this moment we're in right now. Uh, where, where Pat, we're through the state budget cycle, and I think we're going to be starting to, the political universe of Wisconsin is going to start to turn its attention to 2024 in the not-too-distant future. Uh, we are talking before the break about the, prime, the, the lack of candidates on the Republican side running for Senate next year. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the Republican presidential primary and particularly the top two candidates in that primary, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. So we had the Marquette University Law School poll come out a couple weeks ago. Donald Trump polled at 31 percent in the primary field. Ron DeSantis polled at 30 percent in the primary field. Pretty even pretty good poll for DeSantis, considering where he's been in a lot of other uh, polls as of late with Donald Trump having a pretty significant lead in many of those national polls. But when you look under the hood in some of these crosstabs, a familiar dynamic kind of emerges here. They're familiar to us here in Wisconsin if you followed the last couple of Republican primary cycles. So one of the things that I think is really interesting when you, when you look at the crosstabs is, Uh, In the Marquette University Law School poll, which I do when I break down each and every Marquette University Law School poll for the recombobulation area, one of the interesting things that I always look at is the region. So the Marquette Law Poll breaks it down basically into five regions of the state that are all roughly uh, roughly similar population sizes. So they have the Milwaukee city and county. They have the rest of Milwaukee media market, so that not only includes the always important Wow counties in a Republican primary, that include things like Racine and Kenosha, Walworth, uh, anybody else in Milwaukee media market. So a lot of those suburban exurban areas, uh, the Madison me- media market—that's another category. The Green Bay media market—that's another category. It includes a lot of those crucial swing counties in the Fox Valley, and then you have the uh, the way they characterize it is the rest of the north and west of the state. Uh, So, you know, whether it's La Crosse, Eau Claire, Superior, Wausau, a lot of those other media markets, there are kind of all grouped together. And what I noticed when I took a look at these crosstabs is is something similar to what we've seen in some recent Republican primaries. One of that is that there is a big divide between suburban and rural voters in the Republican uh, among Republican Republican voters. And so Ron DeSantis, his numbers in the region, he did really well in the Milwaukee suburbs, more or less, for, for lack of a better term. We'll just characterize that as Milwaukee suburbs. So he was at 43% uh, of those Republican primary voters in the Milwaukee suburbs, where Trump was at 22%. You know, we've seen the suburbs shifting a lot in recent election cycles. So that's pretty significant if, if DeSantis can pull some of those support there. On the other hand, In the Green Bay media market and that rest in that north and west media market in the state, Trump is way ahead of DeSantis. He's over 40 percent in both of those markets. In the Green Bay market, DeSantis was only at 15 percent. And in the rest of north and west of the state, he was about 23 percent. So what does that tell us? Well, we can get into a little bit of that. After the news here. So stick with us. We'll be talking about that divide, that suburban rural divide in the Republican presidential primary after the
0: news. This is WTMJ Nights.
1: Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. I am your guest host this evening. Uh, we've been talking a little bit of politics in the first half of this show here. If you were sticking with us before the break was talking a little bit about what we learned in the Marquette University Law School poll from a couple of weeks ago about what it tells us about Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis in Wisconsin. So obviously, we're going to be paying a lot of close attention to, the, to this race with the RNC coming to Milwaukee next year. Uh, and DeSantis and Trump were pretty even in this poll. But when you take a look at where their support is coming from, it's very different. Uh, DeSantis had a lot of support in the suburbs. Trump has a lot of support in the rural areas of Wisconsin. And I think that is uh, brings to mind some recent dynamics from other Republican primaries that we've had in the state of Wisconsin in recent election cycles. So I think you take a look at the primary between Daniel Kelly and Jennifer Doro for the uh, state Supreme Court race. Jennifer Doro did pretty well in the in the suburbs did not do well in rural areas. Kelly did better in rural areas. Didn't do as well in the suburbs. But Kelly ended up winning the statewide primary. Or at least emerging from the statewide primary. Since it wasn't exactly a partisan primary. Think back to last summer. Rebecca Clayfish and Tim Michaels. Clayfish did really well in suburban areas. Michaels did really well in rural areas. And ended up carrying the state. So what's that tell us with this primary here? Was Were those primaries a preview of of what's happening with DeSantis and Trump. So is that Clefish michaels dynamic going to be seen kind of in DeSantis and Trump here? Because right now it seems like DeSantis' support is more suburban and Trump's support is more rural. And I think that is a key divide to look at as we get into the 2024 election cycle In Wisconsin, because in Wisconsin, as we know, it can all it can so often be a state that is predictive of what's happening next uh, in national politics. I think, you know, when Scott Walker came into power in the early 2010s, that was kind of predictive of what happened next for the Republican Party in Wisconsin, kind of all the way leading up until Trump's victory in 2016. I think you look at Tony Evers winning in 2018, that being maybe a preview of what happened with joe biden's victory in 2020 and now maybe are we seeing another preview in wisconsin where you have this divide in the republican party we have certain voters gravitating uh, certain voters in the suburbs gravitating to one candidate and certain voters in rural areas gravitating to another candidate and particularly when donald trump has been on the ballot he has gotten a lot of support from rural areas in wisconsin and that is what's showing up in the polling right now. He's, he's behind DeSantis in the Milwaukee suburbs, but he's way ahead of him in the Green Bay media market and in the northern and western parts of the state. So were those primaries that we saw with Clayfish and Michaels last year, with K- Kelly and Doro earlier this year, are those going to be predictive of what happens next with DeSantis and Trump? I think this is the regional divide is one that is going to be really important to watch. So that is going to be a big part of, you know, kind of what we're examining at the recombobulation area uh, as those as we begin to turn towards 2024. But we have another very big uh, political moment coming up in the state uh, in less than a couple weeks here. Uh, we had the, the big spring election for Wisconsin Supreme Court. Janet Protosewitz had, a, you know, almost a landslide victory. She will be seated on, on August 1st. Uh, so after the break here, we are going to be talking to Jeff Mandel, of Law Forward, about what some of those implications will be uh, when Janet Protasiewicz is seated and the balance of power is shifted on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So we're going to—he's going to be joining us after the break here. Uh, so stick with us. This is WTMJ Nights, and this is Dan Schaefer. Back to WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening, Dan Schaefer. Uh, I'm the founder of the Recombobulation Area. I write a weekly column and online publication on news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And joining us on the phone uh, for this next segment here is Jeff Mandel, partner at Stafford Rosenbaum and the board president and co-founder of Law Forward. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So. Obviously, earlier this year we had a our spring election for Wisconsin Supreme Court. It was a huge deal. was politics reported earlier this week that nearly sixty million dollars was spent by the two campaigns. Uh, so now there's that we've had this kind of lame duck session, right, with the Wisconsin Supreme Court waiting for Justice Elect Janet Protasewicz to be seated. Uh, and that date, well, she will be seated, is rapidly approaching, and it will be uh, Tuesday, August first. Well, she will be seated as a member of the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court. So what are some of the implications uh, of her being seated, of the balance of power shifting on this court? What What are some of the things that you are expecting to see come August 2nd?
2: Well, it's a great question, Dan, because it was such an important election and a sea change in Wisconsin. So I want to say both that this is transformative and that in some ways, um, maybe not as much as some people hope will change will. So let me, let me explain that. It's transformative because Wisconsin has never had a progressive majority on the Supreme Court. You see lots of press coverage that talks about how this is the first progressive court in 15 years. And I respectfully think that's not quite right. It's the first time in 15 years that Wisconsin has had a Supreme Court that is not knee jerk ideologically driven um, in an extreme right-wing fashion, but I don't think Wisconsin has ever had a progressive majority, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out with the new majority we have and if these four justices are as progressive as people think, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But let me also make a short pitch that we have in our state, just like we have in our country, a separation of powers with three branches of government. And the court has a very defined role. It doesn't do everything in our state. And anyone who believes that the change in our Supreme Court is a panacea for all of the problems that ails Wisconsin, I think will be disappointed because our legislature plays a huge role in governing our state and the court cannot fix every problem that we see as a result of our extremely gerrymandered legislature. Um, and anyone who expects that on August 1st, with the uh, swearing in of, of, of Justice Protisiewicz, that everything will be perfect all of a sudden, um, I think will will find themselves disappointed.
1: We're talking with Jeff Mandel of Law Forward here. Uh, we're talking about the implications of Janet Protasiewicz being seated now in less than two weeks on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned gerrymandering there, and you know that that is an issue that I have certainly written a whole lot about uh, at the recombobulation area. That was a big part of the campaign. You know, it, it, when we're looking ahead to what some of the you know, what some of the lawsuits that might be filed, what some of the cases that might come up uh, before this Supreme Court might be, that is certainly one that a lot of people have circled. So so what are some of the things that you are expecting to see happen on that front uh, once she is seated on August 1st?
2: Well, I do think there's been a great deal of talk about, uh, about the extreme partisan gerrymander in Wisconsin, and, and you're correct that it was a big piece of the campaign. You've done some phenomenal writing about it, and you and I have had the opportunity to speak about it before. Um, I think that there is a general expectation that with this new court, there will be uh, a willingness and an openness to think about the partisan gerrymander in a new way, in a way that our court has never been asked to think about it before and has never taken the opportunity to think about it before. Remember that the, uh, the current partisan gerrymander really began in 2011. After the midterm elections in the first Obama administration, when um, Governor Walker and the Republican majority in the legislature swept to power and then quickly consolidated that power by gerrymandering the legislature to the greatest possible degree with tremendous mathematical certainty, that gerrymander was uh, was challenged in court as unconstitutional uh, by my uh, law partner, Doug Poland and others. And ultimately, at the end of that process, uh, after a three-judge panel of federal judges in Wisconsin, two of those judges appointed by Republican presidents, after that panel found that the Wisconsin gerrymander was so extreme that it violated the Constitution, ultimately, in another case out of North Carolina, the United States Supreme Court decided that partisan gerrymandering does not have a federal constitutional remedy. And Chief Justice Roberts specifically invited parties in states like Wisconsin that are extremely gerrymandered to take these cases to their state Supreme Courts and look for remedies under their state constitutions. The court turned away those cases, but it did not say partisan gerrymandering was a good thing. In fact, it specifically talked about how dangerous partisan gerrymandering is to our system of government. And so what I think we're going to see coming up pretty quickly is an is is an acceptance of Chief, Chief Justice Roberts' invitation and a request to the Wisconsin Supreme Court to consider whether extreme partisan gerrymandering, including the current extreme partisan gerrymander, which is really just an intensification of the one from the last decade, violates our state constitution. And no one has ever asked the Wisconsin Supreme Court to consider whether the part whether a partisan gerrymander violates our state constitution before, so I think that's one major case that we should expect um, our new Supreme Court to take up.
1: Yeah, there there will be some firsts in many ways, right? It will be the first time where there will be a progressive majority on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and it will be the first time that this, like you mentioned, this argument will be presented before the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Um, sorry, go ahead there.
2: Well, I was going to say, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, keep in mind that one of the ways, when I said that the court plays a specific role in our system and that it can't solve every problem automatically, one of the ways that courts really differ from our uh, what we call the political branches, right, the, the, the governor or the legislature, is that those politicians get to come in and sort of set their own agendas. They can make promises and they can do the things they want to do. Courts, however, are really reactive institutions. They decide individual cases that are presented to them. And even a Supreme Court like ours that gets to choose which cases it hears and which cases it doesn't, it still is choosing from a menu put before it um, by lawyers and by litigants and by the circumstances of what's happening in the, in, in the state. So there aren't a whole bunch of areas where we can say with a great deal of certainty that the court is going to have the opportunity to weigh in, but redistricting is one of them, where I think we can say that with a high high degree of confidence.
1: And so, if that does come forward, you know, it would be a pretty tight timeline to you know draw new maps uh, for the state legislature. You know, we we're just talking now about like we're we're not really that far off from the 2024 uh, election cycle heating up. Is it possible that there would be new maps? for the state legislature, for the 2024 election?
2: I think it is possible. Um, You're absolutely correct that, of course, the 2024 elections are already starting to heat up. We see that. um, We we see campaigns beginning. We see lots of media coverage. But that's a little bit different from the legal technicalities of, of how the election runs. To have an election in 2024 with new maps, we need those maps to be in place in time for candidates to figure out which district they live in and collect the nominating signatures that they need to get on the ballot under Wisconsin law so that they can run in the primaries, which are in uh, August of 2024, and then run in the general election. And that means we really need those maps to be in place by sometime in the early spring, you know, sometime by the end of March, early April, is really sort of the sweet spot to make sure that we can have those maps in place and we can run elections under our existing election laws without having to compress any existing timetables or anything like that. And I am confident that that can be done. Uh, the court will have plenty of work to do, and it would need to, to do its work and have all of the lawyers involved working hard um, and, and making a real effort. But I think if the court wants to do that, it really can. And I would argue that it should, because every day that the state of Wisconsin continues to exist under the extreme gerrymander we've been subject to for 12 years now is a day that democracy is denied in this state and that our government doesn't actually work for the people of Wisconsin the way it's supposed to.
1: Very interesting stuff. We're going to be following that closely uh, at the recombination area at, after Justice Protisiewicz is seated uh, in just under a couple weeks here. Uh, we're talking to Jeff Mandel of Law Forward. We're talking about the implications of the coming shift on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. W- what are some of the other big picture changes you anticipate to see? Bigger cases? Uh, other just kind of you know, structural, cultural changes that you, that you expect to see uh, when this shift occurs?
2: Well, we might see some structural and cultural changes in sort of the tone of, of arguments and the way that the court works. We might see, um, I wouldn't say procedural changes, but perhaps a return to some procedural, uh, so, to sort of procedural normality at the court in a way that we always haven't had in recent years. Um, some of that has been uh, the court being dominated by, by certain ideological uh, players, but some of that has also just been the circumstances of how heavily litigated our elections have been in the last few years during the, the big lie period and the, uh, the tremendous uh, amount of litigation over COVID. Um, but we also should expect that there are issues, while we can't be certain exactly what will come to the court, I think that we can have some confidence now, there's already a case working its way through the, the trial courts in Wisconsin uh, about the 1849 abortion statute and what that means. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see that come to the Supreme Court. As I mentioned a moment ago, there's been so much litigation in the last few years over voting rights and over, you know, the technical administrative choreography of our elections that I think it is, it is, it is probable that one or more cases like that will work its way up to our Supreme Court relatively soon. And we've also had in recent years a tremendous amount of litigation in this state about the separation of powers, about the relationships between our three branches of government, how they interact with each other, and where power really lies. And I think it's quite likely that we'll see cases like that uh, work their way up to the Supreme Court in the next couple of years, whether those are more abstract questions, um, about the way that, that the different government, the different parts of our government interact, or whether there are more concrete questions about uh, gubernatorial veto power or about certain regulations that the uh, executive branch wants to make. I mean, we've got plenty of environmental cases that are that are working their way through the courts right now. Um, but I do want to note that the bulk of what is going to be on the court's docket will probably be cases that. Uh, are sort of more routine, that aren't necessarily on themselves headline grabbers, but that doesn't make them any less important to real people's lives. Tremendous amounts of criminal law that the court decides, business law, uh, consumer protection. So uh, we'll have to see, but I am hopeful that this new court is going to uh, approach things with a different tone and a different light, and uh, that we're going to see a court that people in Wisconsin can be really confident is doing its best to to follow the law and play its role in our constitutional process.
1: Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate all of the insights. It's going to be very interesting to watch and see what happens once we do have this shift in power at the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Jeff Mandel from Law Forward, thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to be headed to break right now. We'll be right back. This is WTMJ Nights. And now, here's your host, Dan Schaefer. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, In the first hour of the show, we were talking a whole lot about politics at my... Uh, we, in my weekly opinion column an online publication called the Recombination Area, I write a whole lot about news and politics in the state of Wisconsin, the city of Milwaukee. There's ne- hardly ever any shortage of things to write about when it comes to news and politics. Uh, so, if you're interested, uh, come on, check out the site. It's a free, you can you can subscribe for free. You can become a paid subscriber. Lots of ways to engage with our content there, and and we are. Uh, uh, looking forward to a whole lot of coverage of the 2024 races uh, that are going to be coming up before we know it. Uh, so there's going to be a lot to talk about there. We had a good conversation just before the break there uh, with Jeff Mandel of Law Forward talking about the implications of the coming shift on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So check that one out uh, if, you, if you missed it. Uh, but for this hour of the show, we're going to be talking about sports. And I know this afternoon you got to hear... Uh, on this station here, you got to hear a Brewers win. Very exciting Brewers win. Christian Yelich sending one deep. Cor- Corbin Burns having a terrific outing today. Uh, and of course. Never any shortage of Packers talk around here. Uh, even the governor weighed in on, on Jordan Love today. So uh, you know there's a, there's going to be a lot to talk about uh, with the Packers. But I'm but I'm not done talking about the Bucks yet. The, I'm I'm a huge huge Bucks fan, and today is a great day to be talking about the Milwaukee Bucks because today is an anniversary. Today's the two year anniversary of the Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA Finals. Uh, I'd seen a lot of that. Rem- memories of that all all over social media today uh and it's always so it's such a joy to see! It was the most remarkable moment in Milwaukee sports history that we got to experience. Went the Bucks winning the finals. The hundred thousand people in the Deer District. Giannis scoring fifty points. All the excitement leading up to it. It was just such a remarkable moment. And so, uh, at the Recombobulation area, we're you know not only focusing on news and politics, but we'll we'll get some Bucks talk in there from time to time as well. Uh, and one thing that we are making into an annual tradition uh, between me at the Repopulation area and my friends over at Milwaukee Record. We're going to be making this an annual event to celebrate that moment uh, where the Bucks won the finals with a rewatch party. We're going to be having a rewatch party. We'll be putting Game Six on to rewatch uh, at the Cooperage tomorrow night. Uh, we'll, doors will open at six thirty. Uh, we'll have some DJs, some giveaways, all sorts of fun stuff, uh, and we'll be getting together. And watching that moment, watching Game 6, watch Giannis make all those free throws, watch Chris Middleton, watch Drew Holiday, uh, and and watch the Milwaukee Bucks defeat the Phoenix Suns uh, for the championship in 2021. Uh, I I think, you know, as a Bucks fan, I, I never really even expected the Bucks to be in a position to get in the NBA Finals, much less win. Uh, so we're just going to celebrate this over and over and over again. And, and I think it's kind of unique for Milwaukee because this is the only NBA Finals that ever happened in the middle of summer. You know, the Denver Nuggets this year won the NBA Finals a couple months ago now. Uh, and, and so uh, we have this unique moment uh, and you had this unique time, this unique team, uh, and we're going to be celebrating it over and over and over every summer going forward. Uh, so if you are a Bucks fan, uh, if you have some memories of that night, of that remarkable playoff run, uh, send us a text, give us a call, Old National Bank talking text line, 855-616-1620. Where were you when the Bucks won that finals? I, I, I happen to be in the Deer District. Uh, no cell service had lost a few of my friends and my friend group. Uh, it was, it was a wild night. 100,000 people in one place is, is going to make for a wild night. Uh, but it was just such an incredible moment, uh, to see those fireworks and, and being able to celebrate with so many people it was such a joyous occasion. Uh, so we're going to be doing it tomorrow night again, the Reconvigilation Area and Milwaukee Record presenting the game six rewatch party at the Cooperage free to attend. So there's nothing stopping you from uh, from coming out, having a good time tomorrow night. Uh, and so we're going to be talking to our, our next guest is going to be coming up uh, after the break here, J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. We're going to be talking a little Milwaukee Bucks here. Uh, you know... We're, the, Part of what the recombination area is is we're not we're not breaking news you know we're, we're we're taking stock of things after the fact so we'll we'll take stock of kind of where the bucks are after uh, a disappointing playoffs a busy off season a new coach uh, all sorts of different things so we'll be getting into it with Jr uh, after the break here but if if you have some memories to share with us uh, about that game six victory two years ago in Milwaukee hundred thousand people in the Deer District. People going crazy, uh, climbing climbing the uh, the posts out in the Deer District. There celebrating. Uh, wherever you are, we want we want to hear about it. We want to relive those memories uh, year and year, year after year. Uh, so stick with us. We'll be talking to Jr. Uh, after the break here. Send us a text. Give us a call. Shoot me a tweet. Share those memories of Game Six. Eight five five six one six. One, six, 20. Again, I'm your guest host this evening, Dan Schaefer of the Recombobulation Area. We thank you for joining us. We're going to be talking to J.R. Radcliffe of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel after the break. Oh, 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 all the world. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. I'm the founder of the Recombobulation Area. And we're talking sports the second half of the show. We talked a little politics. I read a lot about news and politics for the first half of the show. Uh, But the second half of the show here, we're going to be talking sports and we are going to be joined by the trending sports reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, J.R. Radcliffe. J.R., thank you so much for joining us. Hey, man. How's it going tonight? Doing well. Doing well. You know, it's, it's it's a celebratory day. In Milwaukee. The, this July 20th has kind of become the unofficial Bucks and Six Day. It's so fun to scroll through social media and see all the memories of the Deer District and Pfizer Forum and all those great memories of the championship from two years ago.
3: Yeah, definitely. I've got my Giannis goggles on that I've been wearing all day. I did. This is a true story. I did go through Chick-fil-A tonight, which I guess <laughs> would be a July 21st celebration, but I did. So uh, in honor, in honor of course, of Giannis's great Post game, post game moment, clutching the trophies. Um, yeah, obviously on the social media feeds, it's been uh, there's been a lot going on today. A lot of a uh, lot of thinking back. I know two years is not normally that big of a you know anniversary moment, but I think when you win a championship for the first time in fifty years, you get to celebrate on the year for at least at least the first. 10 years right that's that sounds about right we could do the summer year for 10 years don't you think
1: oh at least we well, i think we should just make it a annual holiday the annual bucks and six day you know we, we should it. be celebrating yeah. this forever i mean this is the only time in my lifetime and and i'm you know nearing my late 30s here that a was milwaukee professional sports team won a championship and and it's not just that they won a championship. It's the way that it happened and the way that it ended with the, with the 50 point closeout win. Uh, did, did you get the 50 chicken nuggets then to, uh, to, you know, to, to celebrate in the exact fashion that Giannis did?
3: You know, I am a sucker for the chocolate shakes that they had. So as a means of offsetting the caloric intake or that, that the shake <laughs> gives me, I only ordered 25 this time. So, uh, just, just halfway there. But uh, it really, you know, it really is a, it's a, it's a fairy tale. I mean, the, the, the way things progressed, I, I know that people sometimes bristle when, when you talk about the Nets series, the Eastern conference semifinals and say they got lucky because Kevin Durant's foot was on the line or the Brooklyn nets were, were so banged up, you know, the injuries to Harden and Kyrie Irving, but like, it, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe lucky is unfair, but it's it just, it's just, it's crazy how it just opened up for them, you know, and to go down to nothing in multiple series along the way, and to win, and to have the injury to Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals, and have those guys, you know, backing him up, picking him up, getting getting them through to the finals, and then to have that, you know, to, you know, games five, four, five, and six are all punctuated by unforgettable moments, like just you know where you were, your the hair on your arm stood still, you know, like all of it. The you've got the block, you've got the value, and then you've got the fact that he scores sixty points in the in the clincher, like you said, so. You you can't ask for more. Like you, there there are so many moments. There's so many crazy numbers and crazy things that had to go right for that to happen. And uh, you know, obviously, obviously at this point, the way Giannis's career trajectory, you'd be a little disappointed if the Bucks aren't in that at least in that position again to win another championship within the next couple of years. But you know, you, you just have, you, you kind of, I mean, you just have to look back on this and, and scratch your head, just be amazed at everything and how it unfolded and how it worked out and. It's, uh, it's it is really fun to relive. Like I am very happy reliving it on the two year or three year or four year anniversary because there's so many there's so many nuances to it that make it make it worthwhile.
1: Absolutely, and we'll be reliving that game six tomorrow night at the Cooperage. Uh, free event. You'll be able to come down, check it out, join the recombination area and Milwaukee Record and System Seltzers as we put on uh, game six rewatch party. We're just going to make it a holiday now. I think it should be a holiday. Bucks and Six Day, July twentieth. I like
3: that. I love it. I love it. You know, 17 of 19 from the free-throw line. I don't know if Giannis will ever have a game like that again at the free-throw line, and, and I say that out loud without having looked. Maybe he had a, a game this year where he was truly great at the free-throw line. But, like, that's that's completely uncommon for as his, for his amazing a talent as he is. He, he did something that, like, legitimately is not normally part of his skill set to, like, take that extra step. And if he doesn't go 17 of 19, I, they, don't, they don't win the game, right? Like, if he has a normal night at the free-throw line, they probably earn much – Worse shape, so uh, no, they had. A, they <laughs> really
1: struggled offensively in that game outside of Giannis. I mean, they, you know, it yeah. was a poor shooting night for for much of the team. And then Giannis goes in and finally makes his free throws after you know thinking back to all the chants that opposing stadiums were doing when Giannis was shooting free throws throughout that playoff run in Brooklyn and in Atlanta and in in Phoenix. You know, they were really making such a big deal of the free throws, and then he he answers every question by. Uh, by shooting those free throws. You know, I, I think back to watching it in the Deer District. There, There's a lot of tension when he was shooting those free throws especially early in the game you know people get quiet when he shoots free throws not only in the arena in the arena but people were getting quiet in the deer district because I think people were, were nervous you know that he would miss them but I think as the game went on people started expecting those to go through the net and by the end of it we were just expecting uh, expecting him to carry us to victory which he did and fireworks going off and people jumping in the river and all, all the craziness that happened next so uh, yeah. remarkable Just one
3: more, one more nuance. You know that 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 was a storyline. The the opposing arenas counting that began in the Miami series in that first round when he was called for that first violation. So, and then it comes, it comes. Tables tables get turned at the end. Just one more crazy nuance on a a really great story.
1: It's a. Poetic run in many ways, um, indeed. Yes. So, so a less poetic run, perhaps, uh, in this most recent postseason. Uh, so it's been that has led to kind of an eventful off season uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. So, so let's talk a little bit about you know kind of where things have been and and how this Bucks team uh, can get back into a position where they're. Competing to win another NBA Finals, I think they have a chance to. They have a lot of talent on that team. Uh, the new coach this year is really the biggest move that they made. What What are some of your you know reactions to that move and, and reactions to you know the first I don't know I guess couple months here of of Adrian Griffin being the the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks?
3: Yeah, right off the top, it's it's difficult because you know so little about assistant coaches in the NBA. They're not typically made available to the media it's not in baseball. I feel like you have a really good handle on the things that the assistant coaches sort of specialize in. I'm not sure you really have that with the assistant coaches. So you've got a guy who's been around for a long time. Obviously he won a championship with the Raptors over, over the bucks in, in 2019. And so he, the, the experience that he's amassed well over a decade of assistant coaching makes you think that he's certainly ready for the moment. And, I think the one thing that strikes me in the early going is, is kind of seeing the way this roster is being built and, and just hearing some of the things he's saying. They're not going to be this three-wheeling, three-point shooting team that they've been with with Mike Budenholzer, and they better not be because they, they don't have a lot of shooters. They've got Chris Middleton, of course. You know, They signed Malik Beasley, and he's, he's, he's solid.
1: I like they've that signing.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think that could be sneaky good. He's going to get yeah. a lot of minutes for them too. Yeah. He's not going to be just a guy who comes off the bench for ten. You know, he's going to be heavily involved.
1: Well, and we've and, seen and guys come to Milwaukee happen. on those minimum deals and and transform their careers. You think about what happened with Bobby Portis here. You know, Absolutely. coming for yeah. that similar similar pay grade, uh, you know, one year deal to try and prove it, and he sure did, uh, and, and became uh, the beloved icon. Uh, that he is in Milwaukee, and you know, I'm not exactly spec- expecting something similar or from Malik Beasley. But I think you've seen a lot of cases where players, you know, kind of these journeyman players, will come to Milwaukee and and have a really good opportunity. And for a shooter like Beasley to be playing with somebody like Giannis, who gives who frees up so many spa- so much space uh, along the perimeter, you know, I think that there that's that there's some real potential for for some offensive fireworks there.
3: I think that's exactly right. I think everybody expects a bump when you're playing with Giannis and, and you've seen that borne out by a lot of the guys who've joined, joined the organization, how much better they, their numbers got because they happen to be playing alongside Giannis. And, and, you know, you mentioned Portis, Brooke Lopez before that different type of player, but um, just John Horst is kind of, that's, that's kind of his signature right now is that he's had these success stories like low, you know, I I guess low financial commitment, success stories that turned into key, key contributors to, to, for, for a championship run. So, um, Pat he, Connaughton he too is,
1: is another example yep. of that. Yeah,
3: for sure, for sure. He played so great in the postseason. PJ Tucker. I mean, you could you could point to him as well on on a shorter term basis. But, um, but yeah, they're not going to be a freewheeling shooting team. They're gonna they're gonna have to get their their offense elsewhere. I, I mean, it's not a small storyline to know what Giannis is up to in terms of his knee. You know, having that medical procedure, is he going to play for Greece in, in the in the FIBA World Cup? Probably not, I guess. But you, you know that that'll that'll say a lot about. You know where he's going to be at the start of the season. If he's going to be fully healthy and and not play in that World Cup, which I'm sure he wants to, it'd be cool to see him do it. But if he's going to like be you know fully healed up and rested and ready, you know he's, he's going to be as dangerous as any player in the NBA, just like always. I mean, he's going to be really locked and loaded for for the upcoming season. They're an older roster there's it's a tougher needle to thread like they're going to potentially you know they're, they're going to have guys miss games and it's it's not going to be just for you know load management they're going to have they're going to have guys who seriously miss games the regular season I think feels a little devalued from a fan perspective because it was such a good showing last year and it didn't mean anything after the first round of the playoffs so uh there's this you know early season tournament now that's going to be part of the ramp up procedure so uh, it's 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 going to be a lot of the same thing and with with you know just only really a couple new faces so you know we've we've kind of all been here before and we know they're good enough to go to the playoffs they're gonna go to the playoffs so it's kind of a it's also easy to look at this roster and say there's a long way to go before you know what it looks like when the season really matters which is you know getting into into april and things like that so so that's uh yeah, those are, those are all the things on
1: my mind right now. Yeah, they'll certainly be in that mix of contenders going forward. We can, we can talk a little bit about, uh, after the break that we have coming up here, about you know kind of where the Bucks fit after a lot of the other moves that have been happening uh, in the NBA offseason uh, and going forward. And if if you and our listening audience have some memories of Game 6, some thoughts on the Bucks that you'd like to share with us, hit us up on the Old National Bank, talk and text line 855 616 Uh, We're going to be kicking it over to news in just a minute here. Uh, But uh, just again, one more reminder, you can celebrate game six with us at the Cooperage tomorrow night. Free event. Come by around seven o'clock. And right now we will be going over to news. Now more of WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer, uh, joined by J.R. Radcliffe of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And we are talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, our memories from two years ago today, and a busy offseason for the Milwaukee Bucks. We were just talking about the moves that they made. Uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about you know some of the moves made across the league and how that might impact the Bucks. So, so J.R., are, are there anyone, any other teams that you have... Found to have a particularly interesting off season you know other potential contenders in the Eastern Conference, perhaps
3: yeah, I mean that's an easy one. the Boston Celtics super interesting because obviously they're among the elite teams already in the league, and I think I, this Chris stapps Prezinggus acquisition could could really be a huge difference maker for them they could you know assuming he's healthy, which is a huge huge assumption uh they they could really have have something special going. But I'm also intrigued by the guys who are not there anymore. Marcus Smart and Grant Williams are, you know, they're not superstars, but they obviously they seem to have a way to to, to bother the Bucks. You know, defensively, <laughs> they seem to just be a matchup problem for seemingly just Milwaukee. And, uh, and obviously Marcus Smart has a really good reputation as a defensive guard, you know, as a, as a defensive player of the year, caliber player, but um, not having them, you would think, would make, Milwaukee's like a little easier if if it comes down to it, and it comes down to the seven game series. Um, you know, I think at that point of the year, again, it's about who's actually on the roster, who's actually healthy, and, and the matchups could be completely different. But I found that pretty interesting. You know, I, I still think the East is a, is an unfinished product because I think we need to know what happens with Dame Lillard and and the, and the Blazers. Like, if he does get moved, and and obviously there was so much connection between him and Miami. If that does find a way to happen, it's gonna it's gonna shift the power again. I mean, Miami immediately now becomes again the fa- the favorite to do what they did this past year and reach the NBA Finals and and win the East. I don't uh, I don't know if it's gonna happen. It seems like it seems like we're a long way to go before that can. And James Harden is is kind of a wild card there. Like th- there there could be some real shifting dynamics and a lot of dominoes to fall after those moves are made if they are in fact made. So it feels a little. Difficult to give a full evaluation of it, and the Bucks will be right there. They've got all the they've got all the talent. They've got you know NBA final caliber talent, so they're they're in the mix. I don't think they're a favorite in the East right now necessarily, but the, but they're certainly going to be in that mix.
1: Yeah, there's kind of been this I don't know I guess top four in the East for the past few years where it's been the Bucks and the Celtics and the Heat and the Sixers, and I think the Sixers obviously have had the least postseason success out of any of those. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if if they do. You know, trade James Harden or bring him back, or or what that might mean for their postseason uh, chances. But you know, the, if the Miami Heat do eventually land at Damian Lillard, and I, and I frankly I don't think their offer that they've been that has been reported out there, where it's basically Tyler Harrow and and a bunch of late round draft picks, I, I don't think that's a particularly good offer uh, when it comes to Damian Lillard. I, I feel like you know the Bucks gave up more for Drew Holiday than than the uh, the Heat might be giving up for Dame Lillard. Which would be, uh, you know, Dame Lillard's one of the top seven. Uh, n- no shade at Drew Holiday, of course, but Dame Lillard was voted as one of the top seventy-five players in NBA history. Um, so, so I think, you know, that would be a, a pretty significant move, obviously. And, and like you mentioned, the Celtics, it's it's really interesting. You know, it's it's going to be hard for me to wrap my head around a Celtics team without Marcus Smart on it. He's he's just so many ways. Defined what that team has been in in the good and the bad. And, you know, a tenacious defender in many ways, uh, you could maybe call him a flopper uh, in many ways as well. I think that defensive player of the year award that he got a couple of years ago was uh, maybe not quite as deserved, especially when you have somebody like Drew Holiday, who's never been uh, never, never received that honor as a perimeter player. But that's all in the past. We're looking to the future here, uh, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see where the Bucks stack up. And I think if you look at you know the moves that the Bucks made in the off season, the the, the change at the at the head coaching spot, you know I, I I think the one spot that they are missing something right now uh, is in the backcourt, and I, and I do wonder if they will make any further moves this off season to you know bring another ball handler in the mix cuz i think one of the problems that they had during the season last year is they they really turned the ball over a lot like you know giannis giannis can handle the ball middleton can handle the ball holiday can handle the ball each of those players can have a tendency to have some big turnover nights. So I think I would, you know, it, and we know John Horst is always very aggressive as a general manager, always makes those in-season moves. You know, the type of in-season move that I might expect him to make is, is for somebody in the backcourt who can, who can handle the ball and organize an offense and, and not, and cut down on some of those turnovers.
3: Right now, if Drew Holiday gets hurt or, or simply can't go, I don't know, 35 minutes a game, they're in trouble. Like they don't have, they don't even have a true backup point guard at all. So in season move would be nice. I, I don't. I mean, are they really going to go into the season without that position being occupied? Now there are people who could possibly fill in. You could get creative and have Giannis, you know, running the running the ball up the court. Obviously, you know, you could have guys like Chris Middleton or Pat Connaughton or Malik Beasley. Like there, there are people who can dribble, but uh, they really. Don't have that person. They don't have that backup point guard that you can really rely on. So, I I, I think that's interesting. Yeah, I and, think some some I people don't...
1: have been optimistic about their second round pick, Andre Jackson, about whether he can. You know, he's a good. He's known as a very good playmaker. I personally am not a big of a college basketball fan, so I did not watch him uh, quite as much at UConn. But you know, he he could fill in there. But to rely on a second round pick in that type of role for this type of contender is is a lot to ask.
3: Yeah. And he's a big guy. Like at that spot, it would, it would be an interesting mismatch, but you're talking about, I don't know if there's any offense there, at least right now in his career, like zero offense in terms of scoring. So I, I don't know if they can roll quite that way. Maybe, maybe, I mean, like I said, there might be, there might be creative solutions out there and, and they, you know, they're, they're, obviously they're, they're, they have 14 NBA, you know, NBA players on their roster. So they'll figure it out. But, uh, but I am surprised that that hasn't been addressed. And maybe that is, you know, it seems like right now the way the salary cap is stacked up for them, that's not somebody they just go sign or isn't really that guy necessarily out there anyway. So that might be a trade. And that could be, again, one of those dominoes that fall if, and when we find out some resolution with Damian Lillard or James Harden, or, or it doesn't fall because we don't get resolution with those, with those stories. I mean, you talk about that Miami trade package. It seems like if Damian Lillard is intent on going to Miami, like that could cause some problems with Portland, but like you said, that that's not good enough. They're not going to trade Damian Lillard for that. So it feels like that's an impasse. Like maybe maybe we don't get a resolution there. And then and then Milwaukee winds up just kind of doing what they're doing and figuring it out as they go. I yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting puzzle.
1: And and same with James James Harden. I mean he, you know, James Harden yeah. wanting to saying he wanted to be traded from his an, his now annual trade request, uh wanting yep. to yep. wanting to leave Philadelphia and I think Los Angeles Clippers uh were, you know, a, a top team that, that he was kind of targeting. Uh, to be yeah, traded. We celebrate
3: to. the Bucks winning a championship every year. James Harden celebrates his interest <laughs> in a new team every year. It's a, it's a nice <laughs> cycle we have.
1: That's right. And and once again, we will have an opportunity to uh, to celebrate that moment when the Bucks won the championship. Where were you when the Bucks won the championship? Were you were you down uh, covering the game at all, or were you? Um...
3: I, yeah, I was not physically in the arena, but I was downtown. I was in, in our office downtown, which is which is a couple blocks from the Deer District. I did go down to the Deer District to check it out shortly before TIP and then came back and was doing a bunch of live, a bunch of live coverage and stuff. We had, we had, like, this green spotlight. I don't even know where we got it, but, like, all the lights were off. The whole, the whole office was bathed in green. It was very weird, very weird, not, not the most conducive work, uh, work environment. I had three monitors going. I was uh, offering some coverage for, for, for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, our coverage, and a really, really, really special, I mean, obviously, hugely special night. I wish I could have been in the arena. I wish I could have been in the Deer District. I'm happy to be where I was. Kind of wish I could have experienced all those things at once, but uh, but I I, I definitely uh, it was definitely a crazy night. I stayed in the office well past 1 a.m. There was a lot going on. You know, I was I wasn't partying. I was just working. You know, but, uh, but there was a lot going on. It was uh, definitely unforgettable.
1: Certainly was, and and I think for for per, perhaps for some others like yourself who who might not have been able to, you know, celebrate the night of the victory. We're going to we're going to be having that event tomorrow night at the Cooperage, uh, where you can come by. And watch, rewatch Game Six, have a couple beverages, and, and enjoy a good time. So, uh, Jr., thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, we are going to be headed to break here, but uh, we're going to be celebrating Bucks and Six forever, aren't we?
3: That's 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 the plan. Brandon Jennings, keep uh, keep this date open on your schedule every year because uh, there might be there might be something for you to do in Milwaukee every every time this year.
1: Absolutely. Well, J.R. Uh, Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, thank you so much for joining us and talking bucks and talking to some of these memories uh, today. We are going to be headed to break here, and we will be right back. This is WTMJ Nights. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm your guest host this evening. My name is Dan Schaefer. Uh, I'm the founder of the Recombobulation Area, and a weekly opinion column and online publication covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Uh, if you want to find my work, I publish on Substack, recombobulationarea.substack.com. Uh, my most recent, uh, one of my most recent pieces was on the the debate over the Milwaukee sales tax. Uh, that has been a big topic in the news. And as I've been following along with our news headlines here on 620 WTMJ, uh, you know, I was, was hearing a little bit about A study relating to transit in milwaukee and the bus system in milwaukee and i think that that study revealed and 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 you know we've we've heard so much talk about transit uh when it comes to the streetcar and things like that but it often doesn't always have the same type of debate when it comes to the bus and i think you know we look at the trajectory of the bus system in Milwaukee over the past couple decades, it has not been, you know, it has not been on a positive path. I think, you know, the disinvestment from the bus system, like so many public services uh, in the state, it was in the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County has, you know, left a bit to be desired uh, and. I recently wrote a long feature at the Recombobulation Area about the bus system in Milwaukee, and particularly right after the launch of the new bus rapid transit line. Uh, I think this bus rapid transit line is terrific. Uh, I took it here today. I live in the west side of Milwaukee. I took it here to the studio here at 3rd Street Market Hall uh, to come host the show uh, and talk with you today. But I really think that BRT uh, is, is a real potential game-changer For transit in Milwaukee and because we're at this very interesting moment, you know, talking about shared revenue, talking about local finances and and the county vote for their portion of the sales tax uh, is going to be coming up next week. I believe next Thursday, I think is what's scheduled. There's a possible possibility uh, that they could delay a vote there. Uh, But, you know, a big piece of that vote is to fund services like transit, like parks, like senior services, all the different things that the County delivers. Uh, And, you know, without that funding the the transit system, Milwaukee, Faces a real cliff. You know, we've talked a lot about the fiscal cliff in the city of Milwaukee. That got dealt with with their sales tax issue. Big weight off the shoulders, uh, and making the right move there, uh, to, to increase the sales tax to shore up the city's finances. The county will face a similar vote. And I think transit is tied up in that. So we heard, you know, from that survey mentioned during the news earlier, uh, in the hour that, you know, some people are, will, you know, maybe get late, be late to work or, or late getting somewhere and not able to utilize uh, transit in the in the way that we might hope uh, that people could utilize transit in Milwaukee. And, and the bus system right now is undergoing a campaign to save the bus. They've got the hashtag save our bus uh, campaign going on. Uh, that is in very much in is very much tied to the shared revenue, the sales tax debate happening in Milwaukee. But I think what we need to recognize is that yes, there are problems, problems can be solved, but I think we can change the conversation around transit in Milwaukee as we look forward because we have this very exciting, new BRT that and when I took it today, it was packed on the way down here, packed the whole way. I, I, you know, I had standing room only for part of my ride down here. People are really responding to this. I think trans the ridership has exceeded projections uh, in the early going here. Obviously it was, it was part of Summerfest and a lot of people out and about coming to downtown for these types of things, but there's going to be a debate coming up for, for additional BRT lines. And if, if, if the bus rapid transit, is going to be less politically polarizing than something like the streetcar, I think that's, there's opportunity there to, to really grow the transit system in Milwaukee. I think there's been a lot of talk about you know, additional bus rapid transit lines. And if we see this east-west line that goes from downtown to the Milwaukee Regional Medical Center, uh, past a lot of really important landmarks, past a lot of you know dense neighborhoods where people are getting to work, you know, I know i have uh, riding the bus on the west side of Milwaukee, like I do. West side of Milwaukee County, you see a lot of people taking the bus to work at the Milwaukee Regional Medical Center. People who work at the hospitals there, uh, getting to work, uh, and and people coming down uh, to work and to to experience all that downtown has to offer as well. So maybe could this be a turning point for for transit in Milwaukee? You know, could this st- finally stop the slide of disinvestment over and over again, and, and removing bus routes and and not having adequate transportation services like the like the people polled in that TMJ4 report that uh, was mentioned earlier uh, during the news? So could that be a moment where we where we shift the conversation to instead of constantly talking about? You know, where and how and how much we can cut the bus system, where we can actually invest in it and grow it. You know, if people are not into the streetcar and they're not, you know, and they're, and they're really focusing on, you know, obviously we had the shared revenue debate that blocked any new, uh, state or local funding from, from going to the streetcar through this shared revenue deal. If, if that's not politically palatable at this point, maybe we shift our focus to the BRT. You know, there's, there's conversations right now about, Adding a new BRT line that would run ex- essentially north-south BRT line along 27th Street, that would essentially run the length of Milwaukee County. That could really connect a lot of places and get to a lot of people, and and, and offer the type of economic mobility that transit can offer people getting to jobs in different parts of the county. Uh, you know, I I know there's been talk and proposals for not only having this east-west BRT line, uh, be Potentially even expanded all the way into Waukesha, but having a second east-west BRT line along Greenfield or National Avenue that would connect, you know, a lot of those South Side neighborhoods to the be able to, you know, kind of have have that, like I said, the economic mobility that transit can really offer. Uh, so I think this is, you know, we're talking about a lot about reckless driving uh, in Milwaukee. There, there was some news today that with the mayor sharing some statistics. On, you know, a decline in auto thefts. Um, but there was also an increase in I, I believe there was an increase in uh, pedestrian fatalities as well. And I think, you know, if you have a more robust public transportation system, you know, riding on a bus is much safer than driving in a car. You're going to run into far fewer accidents uh and the the statistics bear that out over and over and over uh so if if the streetcar isn't the thing right now if act 12 you know blocked anything from uh from the streetcar maybe maybe the brt is is able to you know kind of change the conversation there we've we've got a listener calling in on this hello Yes. Hi. Thank you for thank you for calling in. Uh, this is WTMJ Nights. Uh, what, did you have some thoughts to share on the on the BRT on buses in Milwaukee County?
0: Well, I think on both things what, you got them both free. Uh, uh, well, why why not charge? Uh, you could see that, that uh, Tom's uh, trolley uh, hasn't done a darned thing in the last two or three years since uh, it's been around. I think uh, if you'd uh, charge the people and and maybe had it uh, go a variety of other places, I think it would might have been a success. The same thing as what you just took downtown, uh, from one town, one side to the other. Start charging the people. Why, why put a two percent uh, say uh, thing on us, uh, percentage wise of cost on us? Uh, you know, to, to pay the revenue and everything else. You know, uh, on top of all the, the other sales tax. There shouldn't be a there shouldn't be no free, uh, free uh, meals or free rides type of thing like this. We should be able to try to get the money out of the things and everything else. And make it go that way instead of uh giving it for free and say, "Well, look at this! we got all these people we got two thousand people running it a day or three thousand or ten thousand or whatever it's gonna be no way it should it it should be it should be uh costing you a, amount, so a certain amount of money and that that's it."
1: Yeah, thanks so much for the call. Yeah, I think that is you know it's an important part of the conversation to to understand the charges there. But I, I think you know that for the BRT this is this is temporary to and it was covered by sponsorship dollars uh, to really get help get this off the ground and and for the bus system around the county, uh, you know people are paying those two dollar bus fares to get on and off and get get to work get get to where they need to go. Uh, but I just I really I wonder if the BRT can be a, a catalyzing moment for transit. In Milwaukee. And that is going to bring us to the end of our show today for WTMJ Nights. My name is Dan Schaefer. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, If you are free tomorrow evening, come join us at the Cooperage. We'll rewatch game six of the 2021 NBA Finals and come find me at the Recombobulation Area, maybe even subscribe. And thank you so much for joining us this evening. And we're going to be headed over to news.